Hey, this is Dax Nielsen. Hey, this is Miles Nielsen. From the Nielsen Trust, and you're listening to Cheap Cheap Talk. Talk. It's time for some Cheap Talk. You're listening to Trick Chat. Welcome back to Cheap Talk, your podcast all about cheap trick. Today, we are lucky to be joined by some very cool people. And first, I'd like to introduce my co-host, Tracy Yashulis. Hello, how are you? I'm okay. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Hello there, ladies and gents. We are blessed to be joined by some really cool people. And you guys are kind of like family. Welcome to the show, Miles Nielsen and Dax Nielsen. Welcome to Cheap Talk. Hello. Hey, hey. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be anywhere. By the way, I'm going to show you guys something really cool that I got in the mail today. It's from Charlie Hill and Daniela Hill, and it is from the Rick Nielsen store. And it's this wonderful checkered uh, mask, so I can rob banks and be safe all at the same time. So, <laughs> Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's very cool. You can get this at uh, ricknielsen.com and check that out. A little one for the home team there. We have wanted to have you guys on Cheap Talk since we started. Um, we love the Cheap Trick so much, and, and we respect the privacy of everyone in Cheap Trick. That's something that we've always strived for from day one. And we've also tried to promote all the family of Cheap Trick because it really is a family. It's it's this amazing thing. And you guys are here to talk about growing up Nielsen. And and your music careers and, and all that sort of stuff. I talked to Christian Nesmith. I don't know if you guys know who he is or not, but he's the son of... Mike Nesmith? Yeah, he's the son of Michael Nesmith. And I asked him one time, what was it like to have Michael Nesmith as your dad? And he said, I wouldn't know any other way, <laughs> right? Just because somebody is famous doesn't mean that it's any... You're, you're still a kid. You grow up thinking something's nerdy that your step... That, you know, that, that your father does and stuff like that, right? So I want to talk about your musical histories. And we'll start with you, Miles. Uh I know that you're a multi-instrumentalist, just like Dax is. And uh, what all do you play? Well, let's see. I, I primarily play guitar. Uh, I I actually I like to get hired to play bass if if people will you know take me. Um, played on quite a few records on the bass guitar, and then uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm proficient or a multi-instrumentalist in the form. Once I get on the keyboards, I'm sort of like the I'm the guy that you you want to bring in when you have no idea where to head with the song because I'll like I'll play all the wrong notes but I'll guide you in a direction because I I don't know any better. Almost like an instant song doctor without realizing it. Yeah, because I you know I, I the the theory the the way the piano is laid out in my brain is so much different than the guitar so I, I I sort of step over the boundaries and the rules when it comes to the musical theory part of it and I just go where my ear tells me to go. Um, so I like playing keyboards, piano. Um, bass I've, I've got an upright bass at the house that I, I can hack around on if you were to like you know if we could, if we were in a blues jug band i could i could pull that off but um mm-hmm. I, is that even a thing I, I i don't know maybe i just made up a genre there you go <laughs> blues jug band i think that's, um, the only, that's the only kind of band that's making any money right now is the, the blues jug band <laughs> yeah just like those animatronic bands 
what was that pizza place where they had like the the bears? Yeah, yeah, Celebration Station, I think. There, wasn't yeah, it? that's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Now, are both of you classically trained on the piano? No, that's Dax. That's Dax. Ah, okay. Yeah. Now, Dax is much more skilled than I am um, as far as the uh, piano and the drums and probably the guitar, too. I'm, I'm, like, I'm like the Neil Young of the family, just like, you know, play it louder and wiki-wiki around. Mm-hmm. Well, Dax, what is your background as far as a musician? Uh, where did you, like, come from? And talk about your different musical abilities, if you will. All right. Well, I'd like to add that Miles has something that I don't have. Is he's super creative and can write lyrics and songs. Whereas I can play it all, but you know, you need songs to play. So I, I give him. He's got the, the upper hand on that one, I'd say. But uh, I don't know. Our, our parents. We always had guitars laying around, and we had a drum set at the house growing up. And my older brother Aaron, our older brother Aaron, he kind of played the drums when I was a little kid. You know, when I was four or five, he was ten. So he taught me like the first few things or, you know, I watched him play very, very basic drums. And that's pretty much what you needed to learn anyways. But uh, our parents put all four of us into piano lessons when we were in kindergarten ish. And I think I was the only one that stayed all the way through all the way until I graduated high school. So I've always said that if you can play piano, you, you have a left and a right hand thing. You have some musical theory and you sometimes use the pedals. So, I mean, it's if you can play the piano, you can kind of. I taught myself drums and guitar. I've never really had lessons on either of those. But if you have an ear and some basic theory, that's kind of, I, I think, piano is like, it's laid out, like Miles says, right in front of you. So, But uh, around 12, I picked up the guitar and, and the drums as well. So that's when, about 12 years old when I got serious practicing. And I was a pretty shy kid, couldn't play sports or anything like that. I'm, I'm still two left feet, as they say. So I would just hang out in the basement or in my room and just learn how to play songs instead of going to you know practice for sports i went to practice my instruments so mm-hmm. and both take talent but you uh don't get injured usually <laughs> playing piano well why don't you say that i I broke my femur t- trying out for football one time because i was gonna go hang out with some friends afterwards and i was like well i don't want to sit around and wait for him so i actually tried out and got injured so yeah <laughs> oh, i should have stayed home and practice yeah I should never play sports. I'm, I've been injured too many times. <laughs> now, you guys uh, have had some cool stuff together. You both were members of a band called Harmony Riley, which lasted from 1997 to 2004, correct? Right. Yeah. So what could you tell us about that? Miles, we'll, we'll start ask you the question. Tell us what Harmony Riley was to you, and then we'll ask Dax that. Um, Harmony Riley was something that, you know, I, I just graduated from college and it's like, you know, I, I started working in the city for, uh, Steve Albini, you know, at his studio. And I thought, you know, I'm going to be a recording engineer. This is what my career is going to be. And then all of a sudden, I think it was because when I was living down in Florida, going to school, Dax had come down to visit and we started playing and we hadn't really played together. You know, we, there's a five year difference and, you know. We hadn't played in a band together. And then he sat in with some friends and we were just kind of jamming at the house. And uh, we were like, wow, that was really fun. You know, this kid's gotten really good. And next thing you know, I was like, well, I got home and a few buddies were like, well, we had this house that was uh, my grandparents' house, but it was empty. So we had this whole house, but they were rehabbing the upstairs. So we decided that we could go have a jam space in the basement. 
And uh, it was basically just underage beer drinking for Dax and his buddies. And then, um, <laughs> you know, uh, a, a place for me with my buddies who are overage to be drinking as well. And um, the next thing you know, we're like, we had a PA down there. We had all this musical gear and we just started playing. And then that evolved into, all right, we need to move out of the basement. We moved into my grandparents' store because they had passed away and the store was open. And we set up in on down on 7th Street at the Music Box gift shop. And we started, uh, we kind of started the, the early stages of Harmony Riley as a band called Nina Foundry. That's what our first name was. And it's on all the manhole covers around the Midwest. You know, they come from Nina, Wisconsin. And we thought, oh, Nina Foundry, what a great name. And then we were, Dax was going to school in Bloomington at uh, Indiana University at the time. And we went to a record store and, and lo and behold, we were flipping through the CD bins and there was a record by Nina Foundry. <laughs> and we're like, wait a second. We haven't put out any records yet. There's a band called Nina Foundry. No way. So I had this song that I'd written called The Lonely Life of Harmony Riley. And it was about this street that you passed going on uh, Interstate 90 on the way from Rockford to Chicago. It's like exit uh, mile marker 43. And ne I had never seen anybody drive on this road. You know, like at night, I'm like, man, what that road is like. So I wrote this story anyway, what, whatever. Uh, but we kind of liked the name Harmony Riley, and all of a sudden we we named the band that, and then people liked the band. You know, it was like, oh, Harmony Riley. You know, I, I'm not sure what what we set out to do, but all of a sudden we started. We put out a record, and then we decided after about three years of playing, we hated the way that we sounded. Uh, and we focused more on being a rock band, and then we put out uh, our, all, but. In the meantime, <laughs> our fan base grew to like, we were like doing crazy numbers at like the House of Blues in Chicago. We had done a residency in there. All of a sudden, there's like 1,400 people were headlining the House of Blues in Chicago. Then we put out a rock and roll record called um, Volume One. And it was all the stuff that we were, we, we dug. It was like a little more like a government mule, Black Crowsy kind of a little more rock and roll. And then our fan base like went down by half. You know, they were like, whoa, we're not into this band at all, but we enjoyed it. So ultimately it was like, well, maybe not the best idea that we've had, but we ultimately left the band feeling better about the second record that we put out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe that was a lot. No, it's, it's great. Well, let's take a little break and listen to a track from Harmony Riley. This is Falling Away. Cry. I 
I love that album. I play. Yeah, it, it was our favorite too, constantly. for sure. Like, yeah. Well, good. We've got yeah, uh, our first the, album. Our first album was definitely like Dave Matthewsy Wiki. Like Miles said, Wiki. Our dad always said, "You guys play that Wiki Wiki music." And like, Wiki 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 Wiki, like jam jam band wah wah pedal stuff. And then then we went to what we like to play, and our fans uh, disowned us. <laughs> <laughs> From there, uh, you both kind of went a couple different ways right like miles you had miles nielsen and the rusted hearts yeah well i guess that was sort of that happened much later um there was a period of time when dax moved to california and i stayed home i was uh i had opened a recording studio in rockford and i started just engineering and and working on some different things and i had a band called her majesty's ship that was very short lived, but you know, it was fun. And then I've started producing and working with a band called the wandering sons. And that took about four or five years of my life, uh, which was really fun. And we had some great experiences there. And then it wasn't until 
2008, 2009, I started working on my first, uh, what I would guess would be like my first Miles Nielsen record. And actually, Dax was the first drum track on that record, which we, we were recording a band called the Goodyear Pimps at the time. And they had had their drum set set up. And I, I said, well, Dax, why don't you just, you know, you're in town, why don't you cruise over and just play on this track? I had the song called Hey, Hey, Hey. And um, he played the drums on it. And that sort of started the the eleven song album that is now my first solo endeavor, which is the Miles record. So I didn't that realize was, that was the first track. Huh. Yeah, that was the first track. I used to drink a lot back and, then. So I, no. <laughs> yeah, I have this bad. I still drink a lot, but I have this really great thing that I can remember everything. And uh, my wife is always amazed. She's like, "How do you remember all that?" I was like, "I actually have no idea." Because I've forgotten everything I learned in school, but I can remember everything when I'm hammered. <laughs> can we backtrack for a second? No. Yeah. yeah. No. Oh, no, I just want to know if... Um, no, is this intervention? No, it's an intervention. <laughs> I want to know if you can get me some of that Mexican moonshine. No, I mean, I want to know if... Um, were there any other bands for either of you before Harmony Riley? Like official bands? Oh, than- yeah, 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 for sure. Before Harmony. Um, I'll start and then I'll let Dax uh, pick up because okay. I'm older. Um, Fine. <laughs> uh, so I had a band called Middle Child, which was not, I mean, I would say like that was my first sort of thing. And, it, and we didn't really record or make records or anything like that. But then I progressed to uh, we, my, the drummer and I, Peter Barr, and I left Middle Child and we joined these two older guys in town in Rockford, um, Mike. Uh, Sonison and Al Altamori, and we formed a band called Fan Club, and that was my that was like my first um, collaboration as as a songwriter. I start that's when I, I started writing songs, like when I was like sixteen in that band, and and actually uh, our dad helped me write uh, a song called Not Tonight, and um, I, I we were down in the, he, it was funny because my parents would actually let us rehearse in the basement with these like the bass player was 31 i was 16 the guitar player was 24 and he would show up the bass player would show up every week with a 12 pack of keystone light and my parents were like hey cow pie we called him cow pie and uh hey cow pie and he would just bring 12 beers in and like drink all 12 every practice and then he'd go on his way in his old oldsmobile 88 and uh but we were working on this song called not tonight and my dad was like you know you, you, you need some different chord moves and we al and i went and sat down with him and he came up with these these great chord changes and all of a sudden we had our our first like co-write and it was like a, a, tr- a you know a three-person co-write because we of course we had to add him on there because we thought you know now we're going to be famous you know because rick's got a part of this song <laughs> so and we never were but the song still sticks in my head it's it's got a great melody and um and then i moved uh and then i went on to college and all my college bands were sort of exactly that i just sort of went on and and i went to college for uh, classical voice and i didn't really uh have any focus to be in a band while i was at school i was i was more focused on uh uh the drugs the ladies and um well more than just the drugs and the ladies so that <laughs> and then and then harmony riley came uh soon after i graduated college i love the name of that band middle child yeah well we were all we were all middle children uh-huh. in the band yeah, uh, you know, 
we've all done that thing where you sit down and come up with great names for a band that maybe never even happens, and sometimes you even design a really cool logo, like you're sitting <laughs> in high school. <laughs> so, oh yeah. So I just imagine Middle Child, you know, being one of those things. But that's a great name for a band. Dax, where did you kind of take off? Uh, when I was twelve, I I met my uh, my still best friend. His name is Dan Lindsay. And he was a neighborhood kid that we kind of all knew. And I was currently in a, in a body cast. I think I just got out of my body cast from breaking my femur and had just been rehabbing and, and you know playing a lot of drums. And he'd heard about it somehow. So we started a band with uh, just he and I and this other guy named Gene, um, Gene Scharf, who's now like some kind of brain doctor. And Dan Lindsay has gone on to win an Oscar and two Emmys. But we had a band called Asmodeus, which was named after some Dungeons and Dragons or a Dungeons and Dragons character. And that lasted, I don't I don't even know the timeline. It seems like forever, but it was probably like six months. And then Dan and I went on to form a band called Wuss mm. uh, with a couple other friends, which I still think is a great band name. It was <laughs> named after Beavis and Butthead, kind of shut up, you wuss. <laughs> what a great name. And it's short, and it fit on every, you know, it was four letters, just like Kiss, you know. Yeah, like you put, it could be really it iconic. Great, great, great t-shirts. And, and I was going to say, it would be a great logo. <laughs> that was back in the Kinko's days, where you, like, you, could, you had to print flyers, and you put them on telephone poles, and you could read wuss from the street as you're driving by. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I still was, think I probably, that's, was, that's one of the greatest band names ever. <laughs> Go ahead. Can I just interject about the the uh, hooked on phonics? Yeah, yeah. The, they Easy had a song uh, called "Easy Read," and it was it was genius. I mean, I think it was like you know these guys were ahead of their time. It was like how, one, two, three, four. No, A, uh, B, C, D, E, F, G. Hooked on phonics worked for phonics me. Worked for me. Yeah, like <laughs> it was. Gen- I was like this. These guys are next level. Their band's name's Wuss. They have this song called "Hooked on Phonics." A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Hooked on phonics worked for me. I'm like, this is brilliant, man. These guys are going to be something, you know. That was another funny thing, too. I'm 14 years old, and there was this pizza restaurant called Luigi's. And I remember they would serve us pitchers of beer. And I was 14, and it was like we were up there getting – I mean, everything kind of revolves back to drinking because we're from Rockford, Illinois, and it's just – there's nothing else to do here but drink. Yeah, that's what you do. But, yeah, so I recorded with both of those bands probably a couple times each. You know, we I'd sell – the old story. I used to sell tapes out of my out of my trunk. We, you know, we made a fortune. Uh, you know, at fourteen years old, I probably made three hundred dollars or something. You know. But when you're fourteen in Rockford, that's a fortune. Hey, well, what else do you need? Yeah, exactly. How many pitchers of beer can you buy with three hundred dollars at Luigi's? <laughs> All of them. You were a king. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> Please tell me that there is a digitized version of Wuss's. Hooked on phonics. Please tell me. I want to play it. Yeah, there is. I can try to. I can. I, I somebody. PJ Heckinger, our bass player. He lives in Seattle now, but he. I think he sent me a digitized version of the old, of all of our EPs and uh, whatever you call them, demo tapes, whatever you would call it. Wow. Well, it's got to be there somewhere. I'll. I'll try to track it. Yeah, down. we need that. PJ, please be the MVP. Hook us up, man. <laughs> I'm just going to intro it in case it does come through. So without further ado or further ado, here is Wuss with Hooked on Phonics. Easy read. (laughs) (laughs) Don't start singing.
Pete is here. <laughs> wow, this is awesome. So, is that it for you, Dax, or were there, was there anything else? I had a band called, also with Dan Lindsay uh, in high school, called Desperate Dan and the Wet Dreams, but that didn't ever really take <laughs> off. <laughs> I swear, I, I'm not making this up. Uh, I've got it right here. Easy read. Check that out. So you oh, you, you talked about your best friend and yeah. uh, the uh, the awards that he won, and that's part of that's one of the questions on the list here. Uh, tell us about the the movie Undefeated. Yeah, there you go, Miles. Go ahead. Oh uh, well, so it's uh, 2012 uh, Academy Award winning. Uh, best full-length documentary. Um, T.J. Martin and Daniel Lindsay uh, were the director-producers of the film. And, I mean, they did everything. It was a real small crew of, of I think it was about uh, two, uh, three guys that stayed in the city of Memphis for, uh, I think, about a year and a half. And they covered uh, this football team called the Manassas Tigers. And uh, it was a high school football program. And the original thing about the movie was um, a YouTube video saying, uh, is there an, a faster offensive lineman in the country than O.C. Brown? And it was this kid named O.C. Brown. And they went down to, to really just focus on this kid. And what they discovered is uh, their coach, Bill Courtney, um, was it just uh, he had this charisma that was just like, you know, he started watching some of the footage back and they were like, Whoa, there's a way bigger story here than just this kid. And uh, so they, they stayed for, I mean, the whole year down there at their school. They, they just lived in Memphis. And then I know during the editing process, they said, well, we need to go grab some things and head back. Well, um, what they really needed to do was catalog all this stuff. And they couldn't do it with all the distractions that Los Angeles had via people breathing down their neck for this thing to get finished so they actually went back to memphis sort of as a as a as a lie saying they needed more footage but they went down to uh to just start archiving and cataloging things so when they got to the editing process they could get through it quicker uh and then uh my my bandmate um dan mcmahon uh and i submitted based on Dan Lindsay said, Hey, we'd really like to work with you guys, but here's the thing. We, we don't have control and you have to submit and it's a blind submit. So they're not going to know that you're friends of mine. So if you submit like four pieces of music, there's a chance that you'll get hired to be the musical creators for this documentary. Well, we end up, we end up getting the job. So they liked the pieces that we created. And um, then we had Dax come in, which was really fun and record a, a bunch of the drums and we we just all right play a beat like this play a beat like this uh play a beat and then we would we you know we go into the digital realm of of creating music and we we're able to you know take a splice of dax playing this beat you know one of them was like a straight rip from hello kitties you know like and if you listen to the soundtrack i think you can hear the influence of dax on the drums for sure and um mm. So we did about 70% of the score to that film. And uh, this, this uh, another guy, um, Michael something or other, uh, he, he, he was a well-known name. And um, the producers of the film felt like, well, there's these two guys who've never done anything before. We need somebody that's got, you know, some, some history in, in film scoring. Some cred. Yeah, so he, he came in sort of and, and did about 30% of, 
of the film as well, which we're obviously at that point, we're just like happy to be a part of things. Mm -hmm. And as it progressed, it progressed all of a sudden, um, uh, P Diddy gets involved. He becomes, they're at the, uh, the Austin film festival. All of a sudden it gets in 24 hours, it gets picked up. Uh, I hate to, to say anything because, you know, this name carries a lot of, uh, uh, grossness and, but the Weinstein company picked it up Mm -hmm. and, uh, at, it fast tracked everything from then. And all of a sudden we found ourselves in a club the night of the Academy Awards in Los Angeles. And we're watching this on a big screen and all of a sudden they announce and the winner for best full length documentary undefeated. We're like, Holy shit, that just (laughs) happened. And we got Dan and I got signed to uh, Sony BMG for a publishing deal that uh, never went anywhere. Cause you know, it was just, we're, we're like, two guys in, in the, uh, in a stack of about 40 million who are also trying to create music for different things. And, but it was great. You know, it was, it was an awesome experience and it was cool because we got to come full circle working with Dax on the drums and Dan Lindsay's Dax's first bandmate in Wuss and Asmodeus. And next thing you know, he's an Academy award winning filmmaker. We're like, man, I feel like a total loser, but, uh, you know, if you look at Dax's history of his, like Gene Sharf's a doctor, now some sort of brain surgeon. Dax plays in Cheap Trick. Dan Lindsay's Academy Award winning Emmy winner. All the guys in uh, Middle Child are uh, one guy is reformed from prison. The other guy's a, a local <laughs> drug dealer. Um, I'm like a, you know, a sexiest man alive. Rockford 2018 washed up has been, uh, you know, I mean. Yeah, but you're married to Kelly. Yeah. I'm married to Kelly, so everything's out the window. I, so, yeah, I mean, win win, you know, yeah. on that so, one. So, you know, that's the long version of Undefeated and maybe maybe even the short version. I don't know, but it was it was quite the fairy tale ride for that thing and I think we were all like, wow, that is amazing. That how did that just happen? And I think it, you know, it it changed Dan's life for forever, you know. All of a sudden he's he's in the ring turning down the, you know, the Michael Jordan Last Dance documentary because he's working on a Tina Turner documentary. I'm like, Jesus. Wow. Okay. Wow. I'm going to go play, uh, I'm going to go play, uh, you know, Swilligan's downtown Rockford an acoustic set for, you know, 300 bucks. Just kidding. Which is exactly how much Dax made selling, uh, his, uh, EP yeah. on cassette back in the day. So. <laughs> <laughs> Career opportunities, right? Yeah. So let's go back to the early, early days. When were you born? Miles, when were you born? Oh, 1975. Okay, Dax? 1980. Okay, so by the time you guys became aware, let's say, as as young kids, your dad was already world famous, right? And we want to kind of talk about what was it like growing up with your dad, Rick Nielsen, and what that meant in Rockford, primarily, and what it meant in your schools, you know, things like that. Miles, we'll start with you. Oh man, that's a really deep well of where do we start? Uh, you know, things like donuts for dads. I'll give my dad a lot of credit in his effort was a plus when he was around, you know, I I can't imagine being on tour in, in the States or in Japan and flying home. And like the next day he's up at seven 30, making breakfast, sending us off to school. Wow. You know, like, uh, how I I'm, you know, I mean, I try to do the same, but, you know, and then, you know, you think about like, okay, so he gets home, it's 1980, 
two maybe we're we're out as a family dax is two years old we're we're at this restaurant called the mayflower i'll never forget because the cigarette machine broke and aaron and i went into the bar and just started like pulling all the levers and giving packs of cigarettes out to everybody (laughs) and and we got we got in big trouble but uh my dad came in and had to pay for all the cigarettes and but well while we were having dinner this happened a lot of times you know people would come up in the middle of a meal and they would, Hey, can you sign this? And my dad would like, my dad would be such a dick. You know, I'm like, would, you know, these are the people that buy your records. So I, I remember specifically having this conversation with him. Like the whole family sort of scolded him, you know, like there's a better way to go about it. How about like, can you come back when we're done eating and I'll sign whatever you have. And, uh, he was like, you know, my dad's an only child. So, you know, you come down on an only child, man. It's like all of a sudden it's like a turtle, you know, retracting into its shell, Mm, you know, and he would get super sensitive about it. And, uh, but I got it, you know, it's like you're have you haven't seen your family in forever. You're trying to go out and have, you know, connection with your family. And all of a sudden you have these people that are coming up and not caring at all. All they care about is getting their LP signed. And, uh, but it was a, a very like poignant moment in our, in our life with him of just like, now remember, these are the people that buy your records. These are the people that afford us to go and have this meal. And he was like, "All right, you know, <laughs> uh, I get it." So <laughs> there was that. And then you know, like around town, I I I'll never forget we were riding in his uh, his 1955 Thunderbird. It was myself and my brother Aaron, my older brother Aaron. And this woman came up, and she was just she had just been beaten up by her boyfriend. And she was bloody all her, like her whole face was bloody. And she came up to the car and my dad goes, Hey, 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 come here, come here, come here. And I don't know if this is the right thing to do, but clearly she, she wasn't looking to go to the hospital. She was looking and he just, he's like, he gave her $20 and was like, you know, go get yourself a carton of cigarettes, you know, cause she was asking everybody for smokes and he gave her $20 to go get a carton of cigarettes. I mean, in today's world, you're like, well, let me please take you to the hospital or whatever. But it's like 1982 or whatever, 81. And, you know, I just thought to myself, well, either that was a very insensitive thing to do, or he's so aware of this human that she doesn't care about going to the hospital. She's going to go wash her face. She's probably going to go back to him. She just wants some smokes. And uh, my dad gave her 20 bucks to go get cigarettes. And I thought, wow, I don't know how to take that. But I guess that's the kind of guy that I think he was in Rockford at the time. He's just, he's a Rockford guy. You know, he never left here. So I think the, the human aspect of him has stayed really, really grounded and really intact. And, uh, growing up, Neil, I don't know. I mean, like, I think you said, uh, Nesmith, I can't remember. What was his first name? And Christian Nesmith, Christian Nesmith. Yes. It's kind of the same thing where you, you don't have any reference point to understand. That's just your dad. So it's all, you know. Um, yeah, was it great? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's different when like Guns N' Roses shows up to the house or, you know, Hart comes over for dinner and, you know, Steven Tyler and the guy, you know, they, they all come over and they're just hanging out and you're like, oh, that's, you know, hey guys, how you doing? You know, it's like, that's not normal in a lot of cases, but for us, I mean, that was just sort of how it was. It wasn't anything, it wasn't anything strange, you know, it just, it felt like, well, this is, this is our life. And, you know, when you're little, you don't, you don't have the reflection, say you do as, as a 40 year old man. Who's like, mm-hmm. man, I would have asked so many more questions. I would have, you know, I would have gotten so many more things autographed and put on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, 
I'll never forget, just kind of adding to what Miles, I don't have a ton more to say. I agree with Miles, but I'll never forget Tommy Lee at the house, you know, and he came to our parents' house in probably the mid-90s, something like that. We're down in the basement. And he's looking around. And he goes, man, I need a crib like this. And that's the first time I'd ever heard the word crib. And then, like, three years later, MTV Cribs came out, and there's Tommy Lee on Cribs with his mega mansion. It's like, that's like 12 times the size of our parents. Yeah. You know, it's like Tommy Lee thought Rick's house was cool, you know? Like, just little stuff like that. That's when you realize, wait, maybe he's not just our dad. Maybe he's somebody, something special to other people. You know, that's why he's gone so much. Okay, I see. He's respected by the dudes that I look up to. You know, that was always a cool feeling later yeah. in life. Did you ever get any crap like in school or whatever from from other kids? Like, oh, you're, you know, you know how kids can be. You're like, oh, well, your dad's Rick Nielsen. You know, anything like that, or everybody was pretty cool. I don't think we um, ever act. We never acted like our, you know, because our parents don't act like they're anybody special because they're, you know, Midwestern Rockford mentality. I, right. We never acted like we were. We all went to public school. We know we were never fancy pants or anything. It was. I think if you acted like pompous or that your dad was cooler or that my dad's famous you'd probably get your head put in the toilet and flushed out you know? <laughs> so none of us ever acted like that I mean, we all you know i've had my same best friend since i was 12 years old and you know whatever it's like i don't think i'm yeah. somebody special now that i've been in cheap trick for 10 years because i know i'm not you know it's like you know you got another great name for a band there by the way fancy pants that's another potential band name so <laughs> I, I've got I that one. Tom, be in that one. Uh, <laughs> Tom Peterson has one of the. Uh, he was he was always trying to get me to name uh, one of my bands Prickly Heat. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that was a great nick, you know, band, great band name Prickly Heat. I'm like, oh, that is cool. You know, that that's like, there's a lot that could be happened there. But for me, it was it was interesting because uh, the the flame was number one in the in the country when I was in seventh grade. So having this like soundtrack to everyone's existence, cause the flame was played constantly in our hometown. I got a little bit of shit for, for, you know, Oh, Hey, you know, rich kid or whatever, you know? And, and there was, you know, I'm like, man, like you kind of like this, my dad's band hasn't sold records in <laughs> a number of years. And, you know, like they had just started kind of getting on the rebound of, of actually making some money again, you know, at that point. And I was like, rich kid, like, so I got in a couple little fist fights with some kids, you know, just sort of sticking to my, sticking to my guns about things and like, you know, respecting that I wasn't what you thought I was. I was a public school kid growing up and all the way through and through and through. And it's like, I'm a, I'm just a, I'm just a kid in Rockford, you know, so there was definitely some moments there, but it was also super great for the, for the girl situation too. Cause, <laughs> Oh, what do you mean? You, that's your dad. I'm like, yeah, you want to go to the concert? Yep. Cool. You know, like that. I mean, just, you know, sort of jokingly, but not like I was, I was able to, and I still do. I'm like the meme on the, in the guitar, like the kid who's like leaned up against the guitar with like the really homely girl. And then you put a guitar in his hand and he's got this like super smoking hot girl. That's kind of like the story of my life. So once again kelly so it all works yeah, out kelly, yeah. Uh, <laughs> now you mentioned earlier about your dad kind of being a bit acerbic if you will a little but it, that really has served him well right like you take a look at most uh artists meets and greets and they are always like 
hugging someone or, you know, the thumbs up and the point, you know, there's the rock and roll, I love you sign, but your dad is always like, get a load of this guy. Like every picture with your dad (laughs) is him like smirking. And never look at the camera ever. Yeah, he's the only rock star that can get away with that, right? If I think he's the only rock star that if if he like gave the thumbs up and pointed at someone, people would say, "I want my money back." I want the guy like po- him pointing at me, like saying, "Get this clown out of here." Your dad has that like corner marketed. You know what I mean? He's he's got that. No one else can do that. My mother told me once when I was getting ready to go Your to mother one told of the, you yes she told my you. mother told me yes yeah. she told me to tell that nielsen guy to look at the damn camera when they take the picture <laughs> so i told him that my mother said this and he did actually look and point at the camera for that picture and i'm like i have to get this blown up for my mother now because it was her fault uh, there you go because <laughs> she's like what is with that <laughs> <laughs> Now, was there ever a time that you denied that Rick was your dad? Has it ever been advantageous to maybe hide that? I think I did. I I don't think I hid it, but I definitely don't. I wasn't a Cheap Trick fan at all until probably I was 17 or 18. And then started realizing more like how much Pearl Jam was influenced by Cheap Trick or Nirvana or like I said, once again, these bands that I looked up to and like, wait a second, I, sh- I should probably listen to these songs that I've been avoiding for 18 years. And uh, I just, yeah, I just don't think it wasn't, it was, I was listening to much different music and, you know, he was, he was gone a lot, which, you know, now that I'm of age, I realize how great it was he was gone because he was creating a name really for our family and a legend, you know, like a legacy, if you will. But at the time it was hard, you know, he's gone. It's like, well, screw that. You know, I'm gonna listen to something he wouldn't like you know and it turns out everyone that you're listening to likes your dad so yeah yeah, precisely (laughs) 97 98 when i was a senior in high school that was the year that they were doing all the the three four night stands around the country doing you know all the first three albums yes and you know they're playing in seattle and here's pearl jam opening for cheap trick and in chicago the smashing pumpkins opened for cheap trick and i'm going i'm like 17 years old going wait a second Oh, okay, okay. Did that really, like, put it in focus? Really put it, you know, did it make you understand it in a way you didn't before? It did. Yeah, I mean, that kind of goes back to people always asking me about being in Cheap Trick or filling in for Cheap Trick in 2001. It's like, I never had any desire to to play with these guys. It wasn't something I planned my whole life. Like, I literally didn't even listen to their music, except for what I, you know, what I'd heard around until I was 18 or 19 years old. So... And I wasn't avoiding being Rick's kid, but I definitely was trying to carve. I, Miles and I have always tried to carve our own name. Like we never, when we were in Harmony Riley, would say, if anybody said, you know, you know, Rick Nielsen's kids, be like, hey, can you take that out of the of the interview? For better or worse, we always tried to build it on our own talent and our own songwriting and all that stuff. So, well, you have to, you know, no matter whether it's the people that influence you or the people that actually raised you, it's part of your story, right? Right. Now, we, as Cheap Trick fans, we've seen you guys in so many different things, whether it was uh, the Say Goodbye video or the Silver concert and stuff like that. I want to talk about some of those moments, but like, I know that it had to be very strange to be in Harmony Riley, and now you're opening up for Cheap Trick. How was that, and did you like go, what's going on here? Uh, how did that come about? Miles has the memory. <laughs> <laughs> I, well... I think we were cheap, number one. 
Well, there you go. <laughs> and you know, number two, I think we we just we were like the hey hey can you, can we can we can we open up for Cheap Trick? You know, like there was a couple times of that where that was you know local, and then there also is like the local promoter who thinks it's like a great idea. Wouldn't it be cool if we got the sons of Rick Nielsen to open up for Cheap Trick? You know, like yeah. It, we're we're cool with that, you know. I mean, there's a bunch of people there. We they get to know our band. That's great. And then it really it really started helping out when Dax was filling when Bunny had his uh, back surgery and Dax filled in on drums. We had some high stake demands out of management at that time. We wanted our own hotel room at the same hotel, and we wanted a cheese pizza after the show. <laughs> wow, that's one hell of a rider. I so demanded, demanded if I'm going to play yeah. for you guys. I'm, I demanded that my band got a hotel, one hotel room for the whole yeah, band. one <laughs> with two double beds, though. Well, Dax, I'm disappointed you didn't ask for three hundred dollars and a pitcher of beer. Well, that's, no, that's, that's what they were paying me per week. So <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It was, was five hundred bucks in the twelve pack. It's even better. <laughs> yeah. That was, I mean, that was, that was still, I mean, that was some of the best times of my life. I mean, we had so much fun. We learned about the road. We got to play, yeah. you know, pretty big venues for, you know, hundreds of people. And I mean, just, we were already doing pretty well. Like Miles said, you know, we were doing well in the Midwest, but now we're playing in California at the House of Blues or, you know, yeah. we're anywhere, San Diego street scene, you know, 50,000 people festival. I mean, you know, we'd never imagined doing that kind of stuff. Holy cow. Yeah. I mean. So was that your first big name band that you you played for, you know, open for? Was that the first time? Was there no, anybody else? No, I, I think I think we were, you know, because we were doing well regionally, we were we were able to get some pretty good support slots around Chicago and around the region, you know, in Wisconsin and and places like that. So we had opened up for some pretty cool bands, you know. We 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 shared the bill. It was like with the band Train the night they got signed to their major label deal. Um, we had played the house of blues with, you know, I mean, countless people, um, you know, offhand, I got, I have to, I'd have to look at our, our old bio to, to know who we opened for. But I mean, there was a lot of bands like throughout the region that we played with, um, and, uh, you know, Poi Dog Pondering, we, you know, we did a street festival with those guys. We, you know, in, in throughout Chicago, we would, uh, the gin blossoms, um, you know, bands like that uh cowboy so mouth we had cowboy mouth and you know we had we'd done some support stuff but you know not a not a band that took us on the road and we actually like went on tour with them you know we were we were in a small agency based out of minnesota and you know we we were like can we just can we just get on a national support slot you know and and you know generally those things and still to this day those things don't really happen unless you're on the same label or you're on the same agency roster and you've got a million bands trying to get on the same, you know, the, the same tour. So why would we get the tour? Well, the, the cheap trick tour worked out great because, well, they needed a drummer at the time and we were just like, we're, we're in, you know, let's, so that was yes. the first, you know, so Dax that was did the first tour. Duty. Yeah. yeah I mean, we were already on tour with them. It wasn't, it didn't, yeah. you know, I, we didn't get hired because I was going to do double. We were already on tour, and, and one night we were in Arizona, I want to say. And Bun looked at me and said, "Hey, you're doing the encore tonight." Like, wait, what? You know, like three three songs. One of them was "Good Night," I'm sure. So that doesn't really even count. But okay, I'll do that. I, I did that for about a week, I want to say. And then one day he was just like, "I'm flying home tomorrow. You're doing the rest of the tour." It's like, uh, 
okay. <laughs> I am. <laughs> it was pretty great. I mean, that was when I turned I turned 21 on that tour. That's that. If you ever seen that that Japanese NHK video of us playing in in the circle stage, mm-hmm. when I was like 21, there's a pretty high definition for the time. High def. You know, that was in North Tonawanda, New York. And, yeah. you know, I drank I drank my first legal beer on that tour and. It was just, I mean, yeah, it was just great. Miles, you guys left that. Did you, you, weren't, you left that night, didn't you? You did not play that show because it was such a small stage. Yeah, no, we just watched. Yeah. Anyways, so yeah, it was one of those things that I just had, we happened to be on tour when that all went down. So, I mean, it's kind of meant to be, I suppose. So, Bun basically tapped you on the shoulder and said, I need you to fill in. 100%, yeah. Wow, amazing. Now, I want to go back to Silver, that, that concert. That was a very special night for Cheap Trick fans everywhere. It's such a great thing that it was documented on DVD and album form and all that. What are your memories of that? Dax, we'll start with you this time. Uh, What are your memories of Silver? I have two distinct memories. One was like, at the time, there were one of a couple bands that had been around for 25 years. You never heard of something like that. Right. And now, like, you know, the Pearl Jam's been around for 35 or whatever, you know, like, I, I had never heard of a band besides maybe I know, you know, the stones were pretty much the only band maybe that had ever been around that long. But, um, and I also correct me if I'm wrong, miles, but I think, didn't we have to drive like 35 hours straight to get home to rehearse for that? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure we were coming from the West coast. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we're, you know, we're rehearsing in Rockford for, for that tomorrow. Like you got to be here by mm-hmm. noon. And I'm like, Oh my God, we're in Arizona right now. <laughs> what are you talking about? We have to be <laughs> yeah. there by noon. So there's a lot yeah, of milk just, jugs that were emptied out, and we had to pee in in the van because we couldn't stop because we had to drive 30 hours straight. <laughs> the glamours of the road right there, folks. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think the thing that I remember is I, I wasn't even – I thought I was just going to be up there like, okay, we're going to do uh, Who to King, and, and I'm just going to you know chant and – you know, do that. And then all of a sudden Robin's like, well, how about you sing a verse if I'm losing you? I'm like, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> what are the words? Like, I, what are the chords? You know, you know, so uh, quickly got thrown into the mix. And it, I mean, it was literally like a few hours before the show that it was like, you're going to do this. And I'm like, uh, uh, I am. Okay. Well, why not? Let's do it. And uh, that's sort of the, the stumbling block that I was <laughs> that I remember. It was just like uh, nothing like uh, being, you know, van lagged and getting a, you know, a, a John Lennon tune thrown at you and then singing it in front of a ton of people. No pressure. With just a couple hours of notice. Yeah, just just go up there and do it. You're a musician. You've got it. Yeah. Well, you did a fine okay. job. You did a fine yeah, job. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> in hindsight, I listened to it. I listened to it because, you know, we... I wanted I wanted to do that song in the in the trust shows and um, I I sure would like another whack at it if if I could go have a redo but I think that's you know when you're younger and you're like ah man I've I've come into my own voice and I've come into my my own abilities a lot more in the last you know since then so if, you know but you can't so there it is that's what exists is an insecure insecure me playing uh playing those bits so. Well, this is the last question I want to ask you as far as cheap trick uh, geekery, okay? And then, and then I want to talk about the Nielsen Trust. Uh, 
where where you guys are headed and and what's going on uh but to us as fans we see cheap trick as this huge wonderful thing just like the way dax looks at pearl jam or whatever the beatles you know whoever whatever band you love right these guys were like your de facto uncles or whatever right oh yeah yeah what was it like growing up with cheap trick because not only did you have the guy with the bow tie making you pancakes when he was off tour now you've got this bigger thing any thoughts on that um uh oh well (laughs) yeah a lot of thoughts on that um you know i i was always the kid in the family who on summer vacation i wanted to go and get in the bus Mm -hmm. that was my like summer that i Every every year, I wanted to go on tour. That was what I wanted to do, and I loved being on the bus. I loved being on the road. It was just I just thought it was the greatest life, you know. And it sort of skewed me as far as you know building my own career later in life. I just thought, oh, you just you just get a band and you hop on the bus and you show up and you play the gigs. I didn't really realize that you had to put in years of hard work and gaining fans and writing songs prior to that you know so it was very delusional when i was younger it's like ah, oh, this is great you know um but you know i like some of the crew guys in in the van you know they taught me how to swim um you know things like that where you're a kid and you're like you know let's go to the pool well you know hey rick we're gonna take the boys to the pool and you know i'm like learning how to swim i'm, I'm going off the diving board for the first time with you know paul corzilius and and the mighty wheel i'm like Number one, those guys freaked me out because they were so huge. But then, you know, they were also super sweet and they were kind and they were they were like my babysitters. And, you know, I, mean, I can only, you know, just it was just a it was a really charmed thing, I think, as, as a young kid, you know. And then as I got into my my playing, you know, my guitar, I've started picking up the guitar at 13 and which is kind of late for what most people think I would just be, you know, I'd have a guitar in my hand at five and, you know, I've been playing ever since. It's like I didn't really associate being able to play that sort of instrument with my dad playing it. It was a totally different disconnect. So it was a totally different thing. And uh, when I was in jazz band, I just remember this kid playing guitar and he was he was playing Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. And I was like, oh, my God, I want to play guitar. And I went home and told my dad, and, you know, and the next day he had a guitar strung up ready for me to start learning and then i would go up the street to the kid who's up the street who's in a cool band and we would sit down and he would teach me you know guitar licks and a lot of cheap trick licks and things like that and that's sort of where that went but uh the the guys in the band you know it's like i i still i have this really huge respect for for all of them um you know and i think like i always say this like you know when you went from being a bar band to then being one of the biggest bands in the world for a, a few years, how is it, I mean, uh, it's, how would you possibly be grounded and how would you possibly not, you know, make a few mistakes and, and a, a few things like that. And I just, you know, I just look at that and my, my dad's always like, was I a good dad? Am I, was I a good dad growing up? I'm like, you know what? The best, you know why? Because you just, you're human. And like, I'm a dad now. And it's like, if my kids hold me accountable for trying to be perfect, never going to happen. So guess what, man? They're all humans. They all did a great job. And 
to be in a band that's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and survive this long after all the trials and tribulations that come along with management and stealing money and this and that and, you know, divorces and, that you know, all these things. It's like, it's commendable. I mean, I don't know, you know, I, I look up to all those guys in the band and have a, a huge amount of respect for them. Mm-hmm. Dax, can you take that question? Mm-hmm. I, I was always much, much younger. I mean, in 88, I was eight, you know, like when the flame was huge, I was still, just, I was still in single digits. So I will say that, um, I don't gamble now because Tom and the roadies and they would steal my money. They, they were willing to let me borrow 50 bucks from Rick so that they could take it from, for themselves. They never tried to, <laughs> they never tried to sugarcoat it. They, you know, yeah, you know, let's play, let's play poker. We'll teach you how to play. And they, they taught me how to play because <laughs> don't play anymore because i realized quickly that it's a losing effort so you're telling us not to play cards with tom peterson no, <laughs> do not. he's the i mean he's still you guys i'm sure met him before at least had a few cameras he's the funniest guy in the world you never know if he's kidding or not you know he when i was like seven years old he was living in rockford again for a minute i think while they were kind of getting you know back together and with him and mm-hmm. he would okay so here's what we're gonna do today we're gonna start out we're gonna go swimming and then we're gonna go play pinball and then after that we're gonna go ride roller coasters and then we're gonna get ice cream and then and he would tell me all this stuff and i'm like seven like yes this is gonna be the greatest day and be like oh wait never mind i gotta go meet your dad in like 20 minutes so see you later <laughs> you know and it was like ah oh, just the ultimate tom move you know just but he was my uncle he, like for sure he would you know he'd take me we'd play pinball at the seventh street wreck which is like this completely shady convenience store that he would probably go buy his tequila at, you know, right down the street from my, my parent, my grandparents music store, which my dad had a studio up on the third floor at, uh, so yeah, I learned a lot about, <laughs> I don't know, like adult things, but also like they kept it PG for me, mm-hmm. you know? So like looking back, I realized like, Oh, he probably needed to go get some tequila. But in the meantime, he'd let me play pinball for like 20 minutes, you know? Right. <laughs> So I didn't know that that was the modus operandi of what he was doing. It was, but you know, just little things like that. It's just funny. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, I was on my 12th birthday. I think Tom gave me a hundred dollars. Robin gave me 70 and bunny gave me 25. And about an hour later after playing cards, I had lost all of it. <laughs> wow. That's, I mean, that is a diminishing return right there. I mean, no kidding either. And they weren't like, oh, ha ha, that was funny. Give it, we'll give it back. No, they took it all and kept it all. And it was like, <laughs> I was like, whoa, I didn't start gambling again until like last year because <laughs> slot machines are everywhere in Illinois. I was like, man, I'm afraid to even like, I go to Vegas and I just watch, you know, I'm just like, I'm not jumping on anything, you know? Yeah. And uh, I remember taught you an important life lesson there. <laughs> yeah. I remember someone saying, hey, hey, you ever, you ever played 52 card pickup? <laughs> And then, you know, for, fast forward to where I was old enough to do the same to, to little Robin, you know, to, you know, RTZ. I was like, hey, you ever played 52 card pickup? And he's like, no, what? And I'm like, boom, pick him up. It was like <laughs> the, the best feeling that I got to get it, give it back to somebody. One of us, one of us, you were, you had, you had graduated. Yeah. <laughs> What do you what do you think of your dad as a songwriter? I'm curious because uh, I I think he's just amazing. I, I wouldn't be doing this show if I didn't love your dad's songwriting. Miles, what are your thoughts on your father's songwriting? Yeah, 
pardon my language, but fucking great. Yes. <laughs> um, I think there was a time, and we recently had a talk about it. Uh, I asked, "What's what's your what do you what's your most proud?" You know, he said, "Well, I th- I, th- I think Dream Police because that bridge section is just it's just really smart." You know, I just really lo- you know I'm like I'm really smart as an understatement. If you learn that part, you're like, "How does one brain come up with that?" That's a move that I'm just like, okay, that's that's either really good drugs or really smart musical. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's a combination. I don't know. But um, yeah, it's it. Uh, he's great. Um, I think that you know, as as things work, you know, like if you've ever seen the Tom Petty documentary "Running Down a Dream," it's about a four-hour doc, and there's a section in there where Roger McGuinn is in the studio, and there's an A and R guy who's got some total shit song that he's like trying to pitch to Roger McGuinn and they're working on. And it's just brutal. And Tom Petty comes in. He's like, how many points are you getting on this song? What's your cut? Who do you know that wrote this song? He's like, I could go smoke a joint and write a better song than this in five minutes, you know? And he let, he goes, you know who this guy is? And he like sticks up for Roger McGuinn as like, this guy's one of the greatest songwriters of all time. You're trying to force this song down his throat. And I, I feel like there's that moment in my dad's songwriting career where I wish he had Tom Petty in the room to say the same thing. Mm. Because there was a moment where they started saying, well, Rick, we're going to bring in some writers, you know? And I think as a writer, when someone says we're going to bring in songwriters, that just, that shits your confidence, you know? You're like, wait, I thought, you know, I just wrote, like, I wrote Surrender. And then, like, to me, personally speaking, I'm looking at, like, Next Position, Please, going, those are some of the greatest pop songs ever written. Mm-hmm. And now you're telling me an album later you want to start bringing in songwriters? Like, what? What are you, what are you, what, what's your take? You know, I mean, who's the A&R guy? And these are guys who are in suits. They're not writers. These are guys who are, like, they're not even smart enough commercially to even figure it out. You know, like they don't even know how to market the band correctly. Shit. They spelled a name on the doctor wrong. I think, right. My dad's last name is spelled wrong on the, on the sleeve. Yeah. You know? I believe so. It's messed up, you know, but, but I'm sure all their, their paychecks got, you know, spelled correctly. You know, it's like one of those things where you're like, I think that cause I'm a song, you know, as a songwriter, if someone comes into my band and says, well, you know, we like the we like the stuff that you're writing. If some guy in my band was like, but we're going to bring in a couple guys from Nashville to to write the next record because we're just you know we just we just want to change it up. You're going to be like, well, oh no, now I'm I'm done. Mm-hmm. And I think my dad's take on it, which we've talked to him recently about it, which I was you know this is sort of how the quarantine has sort of helped in in a communication standpoint. We got to have some sit downs and talks, and it's like. Uh, it was me and Kelly and my dad. We were sitting down at a restaurant. Uh, this is prior to we were down in Florida right before kind of this whole thing with the coronavirus happened. And we were talking about that. And he said, you know, I just at, at that point, I didn't want to give the record label my best stuff. So I sort of stopped giving them anything, mm. you know, for for a period of time. He was just like they wanted to bring in writers. They wanted to do this stuff. And I was I was I was not down, you know, so I just sort of I kept my good stuff to myself. You know, so like there's that weird period of time where it's like, you know, if you look at the who's writing things and who's not writing things, I think like I think my dad sort of got to the point where he's like, well, why would I be giving these guys my good stuff if if I don't have to? If they're going to just bring in somebody else to like 
you know, to write the better song. He's like, so, you know, there, there's that weird moment of of songwriters. Yeah, and it's messed up because a lot of people don't realize that one of the reasons they're pushing these songwriters on you is like you mentioned getting points, right? This person has a financial interest in having this person's songs be on your record. Mm-hmm. So they're getting something out of it. It's it's not just because they're looking out for your career. Trust me, it's 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 often not that at all. Dax, how do you rate your dad as a songwriter? I think looking out for number one was probably written out in a backlash because of something like that. Like, screw it, I'm looking out for me at this point. No, I agree with my. I mean, I think Rick could he could crap out a better song in five seconds than whatever these guys were trying to write. I look at songs. I mean, we all know the the big hits, but then you look at borderline or voices or later on i mean just so many world's greatest lover i mean i can't imagine that guy the guy i know rick how did that come out of like he's able to write these songs it's like i i can't really put it into words because i'm not much of a songwriter i don't know where that stuff comes from or how do you get inspired to be one of the i I mean we all agree in this room that (laughs) he's one of the greatest i mean He's written more, the guy's probably written 600 songs in his life, if not more, you know? It's like, and a good chunk of those have become, for lack of a better term, anthems for people or, or songs that live by or great, you know, greatest songs ever written by, you know, Rolling Stone magazine. Surrender, I surrender and I want you to want me on a list of top 100 best songs, I think, you know, ever. Or tattoos yeah. on their arms, for that matter. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, I, it's just one of those. I think he's totally underrated, but at the same time, he's had a great career. And, you know, he's never not had a career. He's never had to get, quote unquote, a real job. You never, you know, like he he likes to work, and he's you know he's done some great things along the way. So it's it's tough. I wish more people understood how great of a songwriter he is. But at the same time, you know, he's done well for himself. So. I recently interviewed Tuck Smith of The Biters and Tuck Smith and The Restless Hearts. Yeah, yeah. He just went on and on about your dad's songwriting. He, you know, because we were saying how, like, for example, in some of the songs, your your father plays this demented character that, you know, and we were we were discussing, do you think that, like, when he wrote some of the songs off the first album, which are some of the craziest stuff Cheap Trick's ever done, He's also that Midwestern guy that, like, you know, has a family, and then he's doing this stuff. You know what I'm saying? This the the contrast between the two things, right? And it's one of the things that makes your father's music so uh, entertaining and enjoyable. Are those contrasts? Like, whenever he'd write a ballad, there would always be that sinister thing going on. Like you mentioned voices earlier, right? Mm-hmm. And Robin can just make it. He can sound like a serial killer like that <laughs> it's just an amazing thing i've often said that like uh, one of my favorite moments of a cheap trick concert is when robert is uh, robin is screaming suicide suicide at a, a rib cook-off somewhere in <laughs> dayton ohio right and all these people are there with their kids going is this the band that did i want you to want me you know and, <laughs> but it's always one of my favorite moments but uh, tuck went on about your dad and we'll be airing that soon he's just a fantastic writer now i want to talk to you now about the nielsen trust tnt right i understand your mother came up with this idea is this true yeah pretty much yeah she's she's been pushing it for uh, a number of years and we finally had a cheap trick had a little bit of (laughs) 
downtime, which ended up not being really any downtime because, well, or a whole lot of downtime now. But, you know, with Robin was going over to do a tour with Alice Cooper. Mm-hmm. So they, they, you know, Cheap Trick knew that they would have a month off. So we were like, well, we have a month to do some shows. Well, we got, we did two shows and then uh, COVID-19 struck and we had to cancel the rest of the tour. So, um, but we're in, you know, we've rescheduled a lot of the dates and it looks like we're going to be doing it again, if not sooner, definitely in December. With the good Lord willing and the creek don't rise, right? You hope yeah. that this will all happen. Yeah. I'll tell you, I really enjoyed the Nielsen Trust. First off, love the logo. Yes. 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 I'm a graphic artist. I design for a living. I saw that and I said, that's got to be a t shirt. So thank God you guys wound up selling t shirts. Uh, it's just fantastic. Is there a place where people can go and buy the Nielsen Trust merch? Yeah, the Nielsen Trust.com. There you go. There's a, a limited amount of merch right now because we, you know, we obviously we we sold a, a bunch of it and there, but there's still some stuff up there and uh we're ready to make more if and when we can well i'll be definitely placing an order and i'm ready to buy more <laughs> well the funny part was i mean we made these shirts with the tour dates on the back because you know who doesn't want a, a shirt that commemorates the tour that happened and <laughs> we did two shows and so none of those dates are real anymore so that, those are really 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 uh uh, rare and valuable t-shirts that everybody should pick up collector's items yes. collector's yes. items i have one thank god yeah. <laughs> it's all in how you spin it right i don't think i have any merch I, I need to pick up i think miles has it at his house i need to get one of everything yeah we're the we're the kelly and i are the fulfillment department the, for the, the nielsen warehouse. trust <laughs> fantastic now for those who don't know what the nielsen trust is it's Kelly, Miles' wife, Miles Nielsen, Dax Nielsen, and Rick Nielsen. And you also have a bass player, correct? A bass player and a keyboard player from the Rusted Hearts. Um, we have Dave, uh, we call him Fast Dave. Uh, Fast Dave McClellan plays bass, and then Adam Plowman plays uh, keys, horns, percussion. Yeah, so it's a six-piece band. You know, we wanted to be able to do all the stuff that cheap trick has done and all the stuff that we do outside of cheap trick. And, you know, we, we needed to add a couple people to it just, you know, just so we could pull off all the instrumentation and, you know, there's Adam uses a lot of keyboard patches that have strings and, you know, things like that. And I wanted to be able to concentrate on playing guitar. So I was originally going to play bass, but then as things went, I'm like, well, I've got a lot of songs that I'm going to be singing. And so we, we ended up, uh, you know, thankfully, I've got a band of guys that, well, it turns out that if I'm not working with the Rusted Hearts, those guys aren't working. So we, you know, why not employ them? Um, and, you know, they're great singers and great players. So, for, mm-hmm. and, I'm, you know, I get to play in a band with my wife. Like, that's that's a pretty fun thing. And, and I get to play in a band with my dad and I get to play in a band with my brother. And so it's like it's. We had such a good time those those first two shows that we were like, this is going to be so much fun. And then to have it just, you know, boom. Okay, well, that was that was so much fun. It gives us a lot. You know, I mean, for me, at least it's like when I think about going back on the road with that project, I'm I'm just I get super excited because, you know, we just scratched the surface of what we were going to be doing. Um, we're going to get back to rehearsing hopefully sooner than later so we can be ready, but we're going to, we're just going to keep adding songs to the list. So we have, 
you know, a really big repertoire of music and a big catalog to pick from. So every night can be a, a bit different. So you know, there's nothing worse than going to see a band like the Cheap Trick in the 90s where they play the same set for a year straight. You know, you're like, OK, and then after this comes this and then after this comes this. Like, I don't need to see that show more than once. I want to see our shows. I know it's off the cuff. I mean, our, our second night in the Dells was two hours and 45 minutes straight, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. That's, that's, getting your, that's getting your money's worth, you know? Heck yeah. <laughs> you used to be able to get away with that set list shit back in the 70s, right? Because if I don't care what band it is, Kiss or Wuss or whoever, Middle Child was playing in your town, they could do the set and they could say, hey, Sheboygan, it's so good to be here. Boy, you're louder than the people in Poughkeepsie were, right? Nowadays, everybody knows what's going on, what song is coming next. So you've got to be... Uh, you know on your game in a way that you never had to be back in the old days you know the internet yeah i mean the internet you know someone someone posts the set list from the night before and you're like "Ooh, i wonder what's going to be on the set list tonight well if it's the same one you're like oh i'm that's kind of a bummer so i you know that's our our, our biggest thing with the nielsen trust is you know we want the show to be different every night and i think between just even the first two nights it was quite a bit different so we're just excited. You know, it's a fun project. It's also, you know, I mean, I don't even know how much we're going to play based on Cheap Trick's schedule, based on my schedule. But any any kind of open chance that we have to go do some shows, I think we're going to try to go out and do it. Fantastic. Uh, I know Tracy was, was at the shows, and we're going to do a special with just her talking about how cool it was to, to see these. But I can tell you that Tracy was live streaming, and... I'm laying in my bed watching you guys and I'm like, this is so damn good. You sounded so damn amazing. And I was like, I was sweating for you, Miles, because I'm like, this guy has his work cut out because as we were talking about, Uncle Robin is not a slouch. And oh, no, not at all. Thank God Kelly was there. Oh, yeah. Because you're no slouch yourself. But I'm like, how are they going to do this part? And then Kelly, boom, right on it nailed yeah it's yeah amazing. i mean we I'll say i we, can say like when we started playing world's greatest lover i'm like i don't know about this one and like that was the one we kept maybe should we even bother it's got all these you know it's just so elaborate and it's, by the end it's just oh my god and that was the one that we were at rehearsal like well that was actually the, probably the one that we played the best right away you know because kelly came in and just na- like miles and kelly decided which lines or which parts they were going to sing and who you know who who fit the part better and so the the two of them together nailed that song so good. It was like, man, that was the one we almost just didn't even bother learning because it was kind of. Well, I remember telling my dad about it, you know, and he was like, oh, wait, we're going to do what? We're going to do World's Greatest Lover? Are you sure? <laughs> that's kind of a tough, that's kind of a tough one. I was like, no, like we're, we're ready. We're going to do it. You know? And he's like, all right. And it was funny because he's beating himself up because, you know, it comes to the the end of the song. It's the big guitar solo, and he like totally bombs it. And he's like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> no that one was, that noticed. was great, except for <laughs> except for me, you know. And then the next day, he sends me a video of him and his in his hotel room working on the solo for "World's Greatest Lover." And I was just like, "Oh, that's so cute!" Like, look at him. <laughs> he's he wants a second chance at it, you know. And it's like great. So it's like you know, that was just fun and. You know, we kind of laughed and he was like, well, I screwed that one up, you know, and here we're thinking like, oh, my God, you know, are we ready to do this song? And we're like, 
yeah, we're ready to do this song. That song's so great. We have to do it. We have to do it right. And here's a bit of World's Greatest Lover by The Nielsen Trust. Sounds great.
That was live this year. The Nielsen Trust Live. Audio courtesy of Tracy Yashulis. Thank you, Tracy. That was cool that Rick started that one off and uh, you guys killed it. I love what you and Kelly are doing vocally as well. You know, it's great because Kelly's, you know, between Kelly and I, we can, we can, we can cover Robin Zander, you know, which is like, says a lot about Robin. You know, you're like, Mm -hmm. it takes a male who's got a pretty good range and a female who's got a really good range to cover Robin's range. (laughs) Yeah. And here is the Nielsen Trust with Borderline live. Thank you. 
beauty of that these shows is that you're playing songs that we will never hear, probably uh, Cheap Trick do anymore. That was, that kind was of, a lot that was of, kind of our point, or or to do them in a different way. Yeah, like, Miles and well, Kelly actually, did Surrender by themselves, really stripped down acoustic and halftime, and it's just this amazing version that like we could go out and play it as the as a band. It just okay, you could hear that at a Cheap Trick show, but you can't hear this. So like right, well and. Everybody knows I'm a Mandicello fanatic, and and oh. I I like literally cried when you guys did that the first night because <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I never thought I would hear it live, and it was amazing. Yeah. And here's another one from the Nielsen Trust with Kelly on lead vocals, and Dax on guitar. Take me to the top.
was live this year. The Nielsen Trust live. Back to World's Greatest Lover for a, a second. Um, Rick singing the beginning was like that was a, that was a must. Amazing! It was amazing. Yeah. The whole the whole weekend was just like the best thing I ever. <laughs> for us too, That's, we heard like five days later, like, hey, the rest of the tour is canceled because of this thing. And in hindsight, the Midwest didn't, has, still hasn't really gotten it as bad as other places. It's like we probably could have finished those shows, but you know, it's it's better safe than sorry. And now we'll be able to book more. Probably, you know, we're gonna redo, we're gonna do the shows that we were supposed to do. Plus, probably, hopefully, add a few more. That'd be fantastic. Well, just because the Midwest was okay, you have all of people like me coming in from Hot Spot Central, right? You know, because right, right. I would have been there again for the Belvedere show, and you know, who knows what cooties people are bringing in? So exactly, there's, no, it's like, there's it's definitely the better safe than sorry. Sure. Yeah, yeah, you probably would have winded up killing Tracy. Have you no care for the women? <laughs> oh, no, I mean that, that was definitely what we talked about. That like people are like you guys should do the shows anyways. You know, solidarity. We're like. We would look like jerks if we were asking people to come gather and, you know, to come see us play money, you know, play music, pay money to see us play music. Like, no, let's just wait until we have a better grasp on what's going to happen. hundred right. days later, I think we're still trying to figure that out. True story. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'd really, you know, I just want to stress that, like, we'd like to get back to doing it, obviously, as soon as possible, but as safe as possible. And, you know rick's rick's 71 you know like we want to make sure that we can go do this you know the the prop you know, in a proper way and 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 all make sure all the fans are safe and make sure we can you know have meet and greets and and do all the things that we want to do and mm-hmm. I, I mean for people right now it's like well you should you should book this and you should do that and you're like uh i want to take everybody's feelings and safety into consideration i think we all do so yeah you have to you know having said that it's like we're not we're not rushing back to anything you know we're we're just trying to be as responsible as possible and uh yeah you know if you want to go get drunk and listen to music i think kid rocks bar is open in nashville good luck (laughs) (laughs) oh it's so ridiculous yeah it is it is and for now, you can always watch Miles and Kelly's live stream every Thursday yeah. night on Facebook. A uh, little plug there for that, which is is yeah, an you. excellent way to spend your Thursday night, I must say. Yeah, it's fantastic to see what you guys are doing. Uh, we're doing number fourteen this week. <laughs> fourteen. Yeah. Weeks. We were gonna we were gonna stop at thirteen. You know, we 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 said, and then you know, like in this amazing way, like we had all these people who you know, send money in this virtual tip jar to us. And, you know, we've really survived on that because we don't have, you know, both of us are, you know, we're musicians and, and Kelly's a model and, you know, the modeling industry's not happening right now. And um, so these people are, you know, they, they, they donate money and they write these sweet notes. Like you can't stop. This is our favorite thing on Thursday. And we're like, I, you know, I, I, I thought after 13, I'm like, well, people are sick of us by now. And then people are like, this is our thing. And, you know, I looked at Kelly. I was like, you know, we can't stop. You know, we, we have to keep going. And, and I've had some people be like, are you guys going to still do that? I'm like, you know, there's 200 and some people tuned into it last week. And what I so what I've been doing the last three weeks is is taking like our top fans and allowing them to write the set list. I say you have 12 songs and pick your favorite 12 that you want to hear. And, and, you know, it's been great. So it takes a little bit of the pressure off of us to, to be creative with the set 
it's a really fun way to involve our fans. And, you know, it's, I don't know, we're just, we're going to, we're going to keep going until we realize that, you know, it's run its course and, and we should step away from it. But, you know, it's, it's our Thursday too. It's just as much as for us as, you know, we're not playing shows. So it really, like, it feels like we have something to do, you know, it's like, I mean, it's singing into an iPhone, but still it's fun to watch the comments. And my dad's been jumping on too and watching and commenting and talking to people and, you know, that's, that's half the fun. He's like, I don't understand. You know, I, I, that thing goes by so fast. I'm like, yeah, no. I mean, it, it does. And he's like, he says something. We played a bit of Ghost Town last week because, you know, that was just like it popped in my head. And I didn't even know he was on there. And he made some comment and he said, well, that was the Spanish name for Ghost Town. I was like, what the hell is he talking about? You know, I didn't know. And then the next day we were together and he's like, oh, that's the Spanish name for Ghost Town. I'm like, oh, okay. So that made sense. Then, then at least, you know, it clear, it clarified that for me. So, you know, it's a fun thing for us. You know, we're, we're just trying to get by with, you know, how we can. And it's been 14 weeks. We'll be this, this, uh, tomorrow night will be 14 weeks of doing it. It's unreal. So check them out. And, uh, what's the best way to, to get out, to get, to follow you? Would you say? Well, on Instagram, it's Miles Nielsen one on Facebook. It's just my music page. is just Miles Nielsen music. I've, I've deleted about 300, uh, people on Facebook recently, just for difference of views on certain things. So there's about 300 spots open on my personal page. If anybody <laughs> wants to jump on board. Well, I'm jumping. Yeah. Jump on there. Let's get, let's get it going. Let's get some, jump on get it. Some, <laughs> some nicer, some nicer people with, uh, you know, nicer views. Absolutely. I just want people to be nice to everybody. Yeah. I won't put this in the show, but like, it's weird that this music, this thing that we have together, right? And like, for example, I do a kiss podcast. I do the cheap trick podcast and all these people, they're like, well, Hey, you know, I'm against black lives matter. And I'm like, uh, really? <laughs> what do we have in common other than you like the same band I do? You know? Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> if, if someone says that, then I just say I'm against you. And I, 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 I get, I get too emotional about things sometimes. And I went on my dad's Instagram and left my number on there. I was like, call me up. Let's discuss this. And he never did. I'm like, see, that's why it's like, you're, you know, miles, I, miles. I've had respect for you before. Yeah. A lot, a lot more now, brother, just letting you know that. So there's uh, a, appreciate it. There was, there was the whole thing last week where some guy, you know, Hey, Tom Morello, I don't need some musician talking about my political views, you <laughs> idiot. It's like, first of all, Tom Morello is in a band called Rage Against the Machine that's all about, you know. I remember seeing that. And then, second of all, he's got a PhD from a Northwestern in political science. Like, for, is there's no better person to tell you about what's going on politically than this guy. I, you know, I think like, the, best, the, the best meme was, what machine do you think he was raging against? The dishwasher? The dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Perfect. I just remember, uh, you know, my, my, Rick, our dad is such a sweet guy. He really is. He means he, of all the people, he, he never says a bad word about anybody. And I mean that. Like, I've never heard the guy talk shit about anybody. And it's like, for some jackass, to be like, hey, stick to the music. I don't need you talking politics with me. You know, it's like, first of all, he has 71 years old and he's a nice guy. Get off your high horse, jerk. Agreed. And you yeah. know what? He also understands that the influence of black culture in music is without that, without the influence of black culture in music, you don't have cheap trick. Right. So if you put up a black tile, you know, to, to say I'm with you, 
I stand with you. I stand united with you. For people to say, well, you were my favorite band, then good. Don't be my favorite. You don't even right. get our band if you don't get that then. Mm-hmm. It's it's like, I don't, you know, go, go, you know, fucking pound sand, you know. I don't, we don't care. What's wrong with being a decent person? Yeah, I mean, you know, like, <laughs> if you, oh, you don't understand Black Lives Matter, okay, well, then you don't, you haven't educated yourself to know. That's, that's like someone saying that is then saying, wait a second. I can listen to Ted Nugent tell me how to run the country, but I can't listen to Rick Nielsen. Oh, fuck. Jesus Christ. That's okay for somebody, you know. Yeah. So it's, you know, the well is very deep and this, this conversation could go on for hours about that, but (laughs) but my dad is like Dak said, he is the, you know, that's why I had to stick up for it. Cause I'm like, if you know my dad, he is a sweet human who wants everybody to get the best chance possible to succeed in this world. And I mean that like, not just his kids, but like you guys, he wants you guys to do, he wants everybody to do well. You know, it's, it's just upsetting. So it's like, it gets me fired up, but I, you know, well, you're in good company about that stuff. You really are. Yeah. Well, good. Miles and Dax. I, I have followed this band since 1978 or something like that. And I said to Tracy the other day, she can back me up. I said, Tracy, I have never been more proud of this band ever when they put the black tile up yeah yep yeah yep Mm -hmm. should i take the part out about the racism or should i leave it in it's up to you guys i don't care but you know just use your use your discretion with it you know to to be silent about it right now is kind of the wrong thing to do so i i wouldn't mind keeping it in there so amen all right then that's exactly what we will do so dax where can people find you on the socials Cheap Trick Dax on Instagram, and that's it. My Facebook is just really just for my true, like my close friends, I, and I haven't posted anything. Literally, the only time I ever actually do, I, I check in when I'm on the road because you you wouldn't believe how many times I'm in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I check in and hey, I'm touring Santa, and like, hey, we're here too, like on vacation or we moved here. But when I'm uh, when I'm off the road, I don't even look. I really. I see if I have notifications, but I don't post anything on there. Twitter never made sense to me. So long story short, even now, I mean, with, with these trying times, I'm not even posting on, on Cheap Trick Dax much on Instagram because there's bigger things than, I'm not, whatever. I'm ranting and <laughs> rambling, but Instagram's all I got. There you go. Fantastic. And there's also a fan page on Facebook. Gee, Tracy, what's the name of that? Yes, which had this beautiful... Well, it's called the Dax Nielsen fan page. (laughs) Now, Dax, you were saying about someone that hosts that? Yes, this really beautiful woman. If I wasn't married, (laughs) her name is Tracy, and she runs this, and she's doing a great job. And And she also has a fondness for tacos, so... She does. <laughs> oh man! Well, oh man! Jeez, I think I do. I do too. I think I, I might. Yeah, I might try. I need to try one of those one of these days. <laughs> the, 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 um, the record label told me to post about tacos a lot. You know, it would really build my fan base. But I actually have never had one. It's all. Just, <laughs> it's all A and R. So maybe I'll wonder. I knew it. I knew it all along. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the great things that has happened over the last few years is we've seen Robin doing shows at the Dells and. Brian Beebe coming back. Hello, Brian. We love you. And, you know, your dad and you guys doing the Nielsen Trust. And we're seeing Cheap Trick becoming not just four guys, but a family unit. We're seeing Robin's kids come on stage. And then there's there's Holland and you guys. And 
do you think this will be uh, part of how things are developing as as it goes? It seems to be the natural progression to me. I don't think Miles or I or Holland or Ian or RTZ or uh, Robin Saylor, I don't think any of us do it because it's, it's what we're supposed to do. It's, it's what we do because it's it's in our blood. It's in our, I mean, Miles and I have two other siblings that don't play music at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you're a Nielsen, you have to play music. No, it's like just what we've done for like literally 28 years for me and i think about the same for miles you know so yeah fantastic well i want to tell you that i appreciate your contributions to the cheap trick story i appreciate following you individually and what you've got going as you notice i've got a little crush on kelly already i think she's just fantastic (laughs) you can tell her i said so okay i actually made my own kelly shirt it's just just a white t-shirt with kelly written on it but i guess i owe you guys like seven bucks so Uh. (laughs) but seriously love what you guys did with the nielsen trust it was just fantastic i'm looking forward to more and i do love the fact that you are all having a good online presence even your dad doing like the cameo stuff it's fantastic yeah well i appreciate you having us and thanks for being sweet and 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 thanks for you know giving us a platform to talk about it Miles, you need yeah. to get on Cameo. I know. I mean, you can earn so 35 about, bucks too, yeah. right? <laughs> he might be able to get $300 to go buy some beer. So That's right. Yeah. I think right. Tracy alone has awesome. bought enough Cameos from me so I can buy a case of beer. For two. You're Thank welcome. You. Thank you. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'll start one up. How about that? You should. You really should. People yeah. talk about use, it often. Use my promo code so that they'll give me a referral. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I did that for Send Tom. It to me, Dax. I, think I, I hooked Tom up with it, and so I get five bucks every time he gets a uh, does a camera. <laughs> That's awesome. I can, I can buy a couple tacos. Thanks, Tom. Nice. You're getting your gambling money back one uh, <laughs> referral at a time. One cameo That's at a time, it. yeah. There you go. Perfect. But, Miles and Dax, I want to tell you that this is your show. If you've got something you want to promote, we are your vehicle. We've got a lot of people that listen to this show. Anytime you ever want to do anything, anything you ever want to do, here you go. Well, before we say goodbye, can we get your socials again? Where can people find you on the Internet, Miles? On Instagram, it's Miles Nielsen one On Facebook, it's just my music page. It's just Miles Nielsen Music. And where can people find you on the Internet, Dax? Cameo.com slash Dax Nielsen. Cheap Trick Dax on Instagram, and that's it. Fantastic. So get a cameo from Dax, the one and only. You could uh, even pay him to drink a beer on your cameo. Ooh, that'd be that would... I could shotgun one for at least $4. Well, yeah, cameos, they're only supposed to last a minute, so I think I'd have to drink it pretty quick. Well, I'm able to. That would be entertaining, though. You can shotgun one. <laughs> I think I could drink a beer in about four seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll Uncle drink Gary. I'll drink through two or three for you, depending on how long, you know. Uncle Gary needs to be on Cameo, too, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. He's much. He's actually much funnier than, than Miles, that's for sure. Especially, <laughs> well, I appreciate especially you the other having us on. No, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I want to thank you both for coming on today. Thank you, Tracy, for setting this up. Uh, like I said, gentlemen, this is your platform. Please feel free to contact us and be part of it. We will see you all. Check them out on facebook whether it's the streaming thing or at the nielsentrust.com and get a t-shirt and who knows they'll get some more merchandise out there it's a kick-ass logo i love it yeah keith brogdon is the guy's name thinking out loud design 
is the creator of that logo. So a shout out to Keith. Fantastic work, Keith. Thank you. So we will see you all on the next episode of Cheap Talk, where we will talk more Cheap Trick, right? And all things Cheap Trick and all things in the world of Cheap Trick, right, Tracy? That's right. All right. Well, thank you very much, guys. Well, you guys take care. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. All right. And come back on the show. Come back on the show. Yeah, I would love to. All right. Excellent. Now I know how to find you. Yeah, it's very simple. Check them out at thenielsentrust.com, and we will see you all on the next episode. Say, see ya, Dax. See ya, Dax. Say, see ya, Miles. See ya, Miles. Say, see ya, Tracy. See ya, Tracy. George Burns would be proud. (laughs) All right, God bless. We will see you. All right. See you guys. Take care. Bye. Thanks. And that's our show. Trick Chat is an online nonprofit audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to Cheap Trick or any of their members past or present. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes to buy it. If you enjoyed this show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying keep cheap tricking. <laughs> I told you I'm going to start my own. It's going to be completely unedited. Unedited with Tracy. Totally unedited. Yeah, unedited oh, with there Tracy. You go. It sounds like a porn movie from 1983. <laughs> unedited with Tracy. No, that's, that's the salty thighs that would be. Yeah, good. salty thighs. There you go. Oh, boy. Hey now, prickly heat and middle child and wuss. There you go. go.